What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Just Kidding with Jut and Kana. We are now at episode 13. In this episode, I talked to comedian and podcaster Joel Byers. Joel runs the Hot Breath podcast, which is one of my personal favorites. As an aspiring stand-up, this guy has put together over 300 interviews with some of the top comedians in the game, like Mark Normand, Andrew Schultz, Jeff Foxworthy, Cedric the Entertainer. So much great advice for young comics on his show. He's also built a real community for aspiring stand-ups through a Facebook group, YouTube channel, writing contests, workshops, just doing so much good work training young people and old people, you know, anyone that's aspiring to be in the comedy game. This guy has built such a great community, so much wonderful work. I really admire his independent spirit. He's been doing stand-up based in Atlanta for 11 years now. He recorded and released his own stand-up special, and he really just takes control of his career. He doesn't wait for industry. He doesn't wait for things to happen. He just goes out there and puts into the world the things he wished existed. And that's, I think, the one big takeaway from this episode is don't wait for permission. Go out there and create what you think should exist, what you want to see. And that's what Joel has done with Hot Breath and his comedy career. So really insightful episode. Definitely check out his links, joelbyerscomedy.com. I'll link to all that in the show notes. And um, I'd love to hear your feedback. I usually do this at the end, but maybe people don't hear it. Um, But please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you. Um, Just how am I doing? What would you like to see? What do you like about the show? What do you not like? I want all of it. So hit me up on Instagram at just kidding the pod or same thing, just kidding the pod at gmail.com. I really do want to hear from you. You know, I'm trying to figure this out. Only 13 episodes in, hopefully many more to go. And who knows where we go next, but I appreciate you being on this journey with me. And without further ado, my conversation with Joel Byers. All right, we're live with Joel Byers, dude. Thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Jutton. I'm excited. Yeah, man. I just want to say on the top, thank you for the hot breath, all the work you're doing. I've been listening for a few years. I started doing stand-up back in 2016. And starting off, it's a lonely sport. It's a lonely activity. You go to a mic, you sit there, there's a bunch of weirdos that are drunk and possibly homeless, you know, <laughs> talking about God knows what. And, you know, uh, in Arizona and San Francisco is starting. And like listening to your podcast honestly gave me a lot of great advice, but also like helped me feel like I'm doing it with somebody. Cause like I never made that like early comedy buddy. I feel like having that accountability person to write with or to go to mics with. So I was just super inconsistent, um, you know, and it was, it was just great to listen. Even if I wasn't writing a lot or going to mics, I felt like I was still learning about the craft through your show. So I just wanted to say thanks a lot for, for the show. Wow. Dude, I appreciate you saying that because, I mean, that's why it exists is to help comics not feel alone. You know, I've been doing this 11 years. I understand the lonely comedy journey of starting comedy confused and alone and not accepted in your scene or not on the cool shows. And it really has been just a a career forged through trial and error. And I'm hoping Mm. with the podcast and everything else that we're doing with Hot Breath that I'm really hoping it's a way for comics to learn 
things I learned the hard way, like mm -hmm. basically so they don't have to. So I really like to share those experiences. I mean, I, I used to host an open mic on a patio and the <laughs> homeless people would come in to stand next, like in December, we're on a patio mm -hmm. doing this. And yeah. there would be homeless people coming in to stand next to the heater and they would be the only audience members <laughs> besides the comics who are still texting despite it being seven oh, of us on a freezing <laughs> patio. So yeah, I under I understand the grind and the hustle and it's it's so inspiring to like connect with comics like you who not only are on the grind as well with us but also like seeing the value in hot breath and seeing that accountability which is something I need is I the show started as something I wish existed as a comic mm -hmm. and it's only grown into everything else hot breath does the same. What do I wish existed as a comic and really just start making it happen? Yeah, I love that sort of philosophy of what do I wish existed. I feel like that's really good attitude for any creative person, right? I think mm -hmm. so many times, especially with the pandemic, it's so easy to make excuses, but you got to just say, hey, what do I wish existed? What do I have control over right now? And what can I put out into the world? I mean, this, this, my podcast, again, was sort of seeing what you were doing and guys like Schultz, they're like, hey, you know, so what, you don't have the resources, you don't have anything, you have a computer, you have the internet, it's 2020, 2021, there's so much you can do with just your internet access and your, your you know, just the, the free resources that are out there. Like this podcast, besides the microphone, everything is free, right? Anchor and Zoom and all these things are, are you know, stuff you can do for free. It's really just about being bold and, and putting something out there. Yeah. And being willing to fail, just like on stage, you know, bombing is learning when you're on stage and it's basically 2020. I, it was going to be the most booked year I've had. I had been in the game 10 years. I just released my self-produced comedy special. I had just gotten off a tour promoting the special. Like I was booked. Like my goal was to become a touring headliner. 2020 mm -hmm. was my year to become a touring headliner. I was booked through the year. March hits all of a sudden, I'm, it's like, I'm not even a comedian anymore. I'm like, mm -hmm. all the live shows are gone. So you really had to kind of pivot and adjust to be like, okay, well, we were talking about this beforehand, but you can't control what happens, but you can control how you react to it. So mm -hmm. I was like, well, what can I control? I can't control all of my work is gone for the year, but I can't control what I do with this time. I can control how much I write. I can control, continue to work on the podcast and that community, which has become just a global comedy scene of just positivity and support that has been mind blowing to me. And it all started with, okay, what I thought was happening is no longer. So what can I make happen instead? Yeah. You got to be flexible. Got to pivot. Got to mm -hmm. understand. All right. Comedy is a very specific thing. Stand up is like, you need an audience, you need a club or a bar. And when you take that away, it's so easy to just sit and complain and, and wish things were different, but yeah. it's awesome that you've, and, and you know, making lemons into lemonade or whatever you, you know, corny phrase you want to use, but it, it's actually, if you're looking at it, it's helped you build this community. And that's something maybe you wouldn't have focused on, or maybe I wouldn't have built this podcast if mics had been open, if shows had been open. So for sure, I definitely for. wouldn't have gone headfirst into the hot breath verse like I have. Like it's been yeah. a weekly podcast for like five years. And we have over 300 interviews with comedians, but I was just kind of almost clocking in in a sense. Okay, sure. Monday, 8 a.m. Here's another podcast. Here's another mm -hmm. interview, like just repetition. And then all of a sudden shows are gone. And I was like, oh, well, there's a community here. Like people like you who are like, this show is actually helping. And mm -hmm. what I'm finding is through 
building our Facebook group that has over two and a half thousand comics. And we do a daily joke writing contest in there. And we do other monthly contests and things like that, that it's other comics, some who have never even been on stage who were like, man, I've always wanted to try it. I'm in quarantine, might as well try it. And then maybe they did a zoom show for the first time ever. Or they wrote their first joke ever, you know? So it's a lot of people at every stage of their career hitting those firsts in their career, which, you know, I mean, is so rewarding, whether it's the yeah. first time you go on stage, the first time you uh, get an applause break, the first time you get mm -hmm. booked on a show where you get your yeah. face on a flyer and you're like, I made it. My face is on a flyer. Like yeah. all those firsts. It's so cool to see people in the hot breath of verse having those despite stand up really not existing for better or worse, you know? Yeah, man, it's really cool to see you put it out there. I encourage anyone that's listening, that's interested in stand-up, check out uh, the Hot Breath Universe Facebook and, and YouTube. And, and yeah, it's a great way. It's a it's like a judgment-free way to get started. I do a segment called Judgment-Free Zone, where which is funny because I had Nimesh Patel on and he judged the hell out of my joke, but it was still like, it was like a workshop. Uh, it was still good advice, but I feel like, yeah, like I said, comedy is a hard thing to get started. It's such a grueling thing going to mics you know being around strangers you got eight comics there staring at their phones waiting for their set so yeah. i think building like an actual positive community around it a judgment-free place where people can just write jokes low risk you know zoom or whatever it is mm -hmm. facebook yeah that's a it's an awesome awesome thing you built how did you how did you first get started you, you said five years ago what was like the original seed for the hot breath show I'm going to grab so, a jacket because my room's cold, but keep going. <laughs> You're fine. Is your backdrop Atlanta, by the way? It did, yeah. In honor of... Uh, my man. Yeah. From the ATL. He's out here repping. I love it. It's my favorite shows as well. I'm sure you've seen the show Atlanta. Oh, ATL. Oh, Atlanta? Yeah. It's a yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah, I love Childish Gambino. But, I mean, my... The, the podcast started... You know, I had been in the game probably five years. Um, and how it really started was... I've always been a fan of Atlanta comedy. I've always just represented Atlanta to the fullest. I love our comedy scene. I think it's the dopest in the country. And we were at a point where we had like 10 comics from Atlanta in the finals of last comic standing. Wow. And I was like, oh, this would be a cool time capsule of Atlanta comedy to interview all 10 of these people. And Atlanta comics actually won it two years in a row. Who was so it? It became, it became like a journey of... Let me interview these Atlanta comics, kind of capsulize this moment in Atlanta comedy who, history. Who the uh, Rodman and then Clayton English. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Miss Pat was in the that season. Rob Hayes. I mean, there's there's a lot of comics who you're now seeing on TV and doing their own thing who were in Neil, part of that. Neil class. Nanda, who's our one shared guest that we have. Oh, Neil Nanda. Yeah. Yeah. Ne yeah. Neil's great. Um, so he, yeah, we had a fun interview with him. I remember, yeah. but yeah, that's, he's always a been a mover interview. and shaker and another one of those comics that you see just like doing his thing, you know? Oh yeah. He like his social media hustle, putting out clips all the time, being consistent. Oh, yeah. Like he, yeah, he's, he's a grinder, really, man. He learned yeah. piano over quarantine. Like he used to do piano jokes and didn't know piano. He knew like two <laughs> chords. And then he like Neil Brennan apparently was like, dude, just learn piano like and then he's spent like three hours a day and he's like apparently a concert level you know for a cop for a comedian oh, that yeah. level of, yeah well if neil brennan tells you to learn piano you yes. you learned piano yesterday yes. <laughs> do it 
That is correct. So, I mean, the whole show started with just interviewing Atlanta comics. And then I took a little bit of a break. Like, I don't know what to do next. What is season two? Mm -hmm. And then one of my friends here in Atlanta was like, just do it. Like, just keep interviewing comics. Like, don't overthink it. Just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. So it's been basically weekly since then. But it all started mm -hmm. with highlighting Atlanta comedy. And then now it became the show I existed. I looked at other comedy podcasts and was like, well, what do I like about them? What do I not? And my favorite mm -hmm. moments were when they talked about comedy, how they wrote mm -hmm. that joke, how they booked that show. And I was like, oh, well, let me just make that the podcast, my favorite parts of my favorite comedy podcast. And over 300 episodes later, it, I, it's still just as fun today as it was back then. Yeah, man. No, and as a, as a comedy nerd, I, I love those moments too. I like, mm -hmm. I'm a big like note taker. I feel like, um, whenever you listen to a podcast or watching a show, I feel like there's so much pressure to like create. And it's like, whenever you're watching Netflix or doing something passive, you're not creating, but I feel like you can turn that into an activity by taking notes and learning saying, Hey, what do I like about this pilot of Atlanta? And I actually like went and whenever I rewatch it, I will take notes. So if one yeah. day I want to write a pilot, uh, I'll have that. And the same with uh, your podcast. I take a lot of notes and, and write down, quotes from from these great comedians because there's so many also you forget stuff you don't write it down so i feel like whenever i'm looking for inspiration i'll look at my notes from mark norman has great tips mm -hmm. sam morell schultz you know all these guys and uh yeah it's, it's been genuinely helpful as a, as a as a aspiring comedian that that's the, that is honestly that's the entire goal that's exactly who the show is for like comedy fans have started to listen to it because we have been getting people like schultz and norman and all that but like it's all still pointed to like new and aspiring and grinding comics like mm. that's who it's created for and if other people join in awesome yeah yeah come on in but all the content is really to help just comics yeah it's about the craft right and yep it, uh i went to a i did a comedy class once and i know they all say don't pay for that it's a waste of time but this was like before i did a mic i think it was just something to like get over my fear it's like oh i'm putting money behind this but I yeah feel like of course things like podcasts are so much better because no one can tell you how to do your style of comedy comedy is so unique where every comedian really has their own voice there's so many musicians where you see a rapper or a band and then you have a hundred more bands or rappers that are all making money doing the same thing but you can't do that. You can't go do Kevin Hart's jokes and get a Netflix right. special. So no one yeah. can tell you how to do comedy your way. It's really more around the process of finding that voice, right? No one can tell you how to tell your joke because they're so different. Um, but it's it's really just around the, 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 the art of finding your voice and, and really putting in the work. Yeah, I mean, classes, it's for people that are thinking about a class, just just take into account the teacher. Just like look at the teacher Look at who they are. Do you like their comedy? Do you like where their career is taking them? Like, same thing with advice you get in this game. It's like people come to you at open mics all the time and maybe have like a negative feedback here. Or like, maybe you should do this. Always take into account where the advice is coming from. Like, is this a comedian that you aspire to be? Like, is this a comedian you admire? Like, where are they in their career? What is their comedy like? Mm -hmm. Take that into account. Same thing with classes. Like, there's a lot of people that just do it just for a quick, like, a quick buck. Classes. For some people, like if it's taught the right way from a credible source, it can be a great way to just really <laughs> skip a lot of the learning curve of banging your head against the wall of like, what is the structure of a joke? What are the different formulas I can start to put my material within? Mm -hmm. So it's a great place to find structure and direction and generate ideas and that accountability we talked about.
Right. At the end of the day, you can take a class. If you don't do the work, it won't work. That you're just going to spend your money and then flush it down the toilet. If you just take the class and think that's the magic bullet, you have to take what you learned that class and then grind Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Perform, (laughs) review, refine, repeat. Like that's that's the game at the end of the day. So classes are fine to learn structure and all that, but you've you've got to put in the reps. Nobody's going to do it for you. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's like if you're taking guitar lessons, you can watch someone teach you how to play guitar. If you don't have a guitar in your hand. You can just sit there and watch. You're like, okay, I think I get this. (laughs) You can do that for six months. You're not going to know how to fucking play the guitar at all. And for us playing the guitar, the instrument is the audience, right? There is no comedy really without that audience. Yeah, that's and that's the part of comedy people don't want to hear. Of like the grind part of like, oh, you mean I got to go do open mics at midnight and bomb? And then like go to work the next day and then do it again? It's like, yeah, you got to do that a lot. And that's... Mm -hmm. That's why like the Facebook group exists for a place for people to learn by doing because mm-hmm. a lot of people have taken classes and things like that, but it's, it's now a space for people to hold each other accountable and to learn by doing, putting in the repetition, writing jokes, getting feedback in real time and really mm-hmm. developing in a supportive environment because you've, you've, you've got to put in the work, you yeah. kiddos. At the end of the day, the number one piece of advice, I always end my podcast with like, what is your best comedy advice, your favorite comedy advice you've ever gotten? I mean, it could be Jeff Foxworthy, Cedric the Entertainer, Mark Norman. They all say, you've got to get on stage. Mm-hmm. You have to get on stage. So for the time being, that's a Zoom show. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think you can still get good reps in a Zoom show. You can still get some like productive feedback and connect with other comics in there. And it's what we can do right now. It's the best we can do. Yep. In, in the Hot Breath Facebook group, we do feedback mics where we'll perform and then after each comic we'll give each other advice it's like a super insulated like seven comics five minutes three minutes of feedback and we kind of develop that way but you yeah you got to put in the reps at the end of the day yeah absolutely yeah um so as a new podcaster do you have any advice for me like how do i make this show great how do i get great guests um because you've had such legendary comics on what advice do you have Consistency is a big part of it. So if if like so for hot breath, you know, I said Monday at 8 a.m. So there's gonna be an episode every Monday at 8 a.m. People have come to rely on it. There's a trust that you build with your audience through that consistency. Also ask your audience what they want to hear as well. Mm-hmm. You know, have have your own vision. You know, hot breath for me being like um, an outlet for comics to learn comedy. I I all I you know, I ask my questions to my guests with that in mind. How can we be helping comics with this episode? What is this particular comics expertise? Are they really good at the business side? Are they really good at act outs? Are they really good at one-liners? And really dive in to that expertise they have to help educate your audience and whatever it is your mission is. Because, I mean, I know you have a couple different, uh, you, you spin a couple different plates. You know, you like, you like talking about like the climate change and you yeah. like buddhism and like mindfulness uh, in addition to comedy so really yeah make it your own you know uh mm-hmm. what jeff fox really said when we got to interview him which still sticks with me is like what is your empty parking space mm. so his example was he was playing cards against humanity with his family and it was it was fun but it was really dirty and he's like you can't play this with like your aunts and grandparents so he created a clean version of cards against humanity and it became like amazon's number one selling game empty wow. parking space so mm-hmm. look 
com- podcasting's booming. Comedy is the most popular category within podcasting. So ask yourself, what is the empty parking space? What do you want the show to be? And start creating content consistently around that. Whether it's a you do it weekly, bi-weekly, whatever is sustainable for you at this time, mm-hmm. set that standard and start creating that trust with your audience and interact with them in the intro and outro of this or something. You know, Ask them, what do you like about this? What do you want to see more about? Because the, the power, I'm learning this more than ever now in quarantine, the power is in the community at mm-hmm. the end of the day. If you have 10 listeners or 10,000, the power is in those people, 100%. Yeah. And I think that's the future. Like, I think eventually people are going to be subscribing to you. Like yeah, right now, totally. I mean, you see everyone starting their streaming, uh, like Paramount Plus, Discover mm-hmm. Plus, Discovery Plus and whatever. Like everyone's doing their own Netflix now. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling in a few years, people are going to be subscribing to you, to Jutton, to Hot yeah. Breath, to like, I feel like Andrew Schultz is going to have his own platform. Uh, like sure. we just interviewed Kev on stage who viral uh, incredible dude he we interviewed him he posted the link we do a live stream interviews he posted the link in his patreon not even on social media his Mm -hmm. patreon Mm -hmm. 500 people appeared just like that and that's when it really struck home to me the power of community he has his own app now he creates his own original content his own app he has his own app and i I think it's he has his own (laughs) studio space now that's the next level shit I, th- I think that's what's going to be next. So really, really focus on the listeners you do have and just know it's going to take time as yeah. well. People get into podcasting and they're like, oh, I'm going to be Joe Rogan tomorrow. I was like, <laughs> well, first off, you're not. I don't want to. I don't have a fixed mindset. I'm all about growth mindset, but yeah. you're not going to be Joe Rogan. <laughs> He's yeah. the outlier. Yeah, you, you can be your own version of what you want to build a community like Joe Rogan, but don't aspire totally. to be him. Aspire to be the best version of yourself. And it's going to take time. People aren't going to listen for a long time. And I can tell you, because you're asking about booking popular guests and things like that, what's been really enlightening about getting to book people like a Jeff Foxworthy mm-hmm. of that level where you're like, oh, this is it. The, the podcast is viral. Yeah. Still, I'm t- the most popular episodes. I did, a, I did a one-on-one coaching session with a member of the Hot Breathiverse, Micah. Mm. that episode and I she let me post it on the podcast for people to kind of see behind the scenes of joke writing and that episode has more listens than Jeff Foxworthy really like it's 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 the community it's wow it's 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 incredible to see like the Jeff Foxworthy's cool but aspiring comics are like oh I'd like to hear another aspiring comic and what Mm. their writing process is and something a little more relatable so just create content you wish existed and be consistent with it and like listen to your audience at the end of the yeah. day and be consistent with it. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I, I had no idea that that was the case. I think that the average person would assume that your episodes with Foxworthy or these huge comics would get the most listens, but it's really awesome to hear that it's, you know, those yeah. standard conversations, conversations that get a lot of views and, and, yeah, I'm I'm the similar way. I love Rogan and all these guys, and and I and I want to you know have something you know like you mentioned that's across multiple segments. So across between yeah. science and Buddhism and comedy and and putting that all together. Still not exactly sure how. Besides just having interesting guests on and having a variety, but part of it is also 
because of where I'm at, interviewing people that are still building, that aren't millionaires and billionaires, because sometimes that advice is so unrelatable to someone that's has nothing, right? Jeff Foxworthy's mm-hmm. advice, maybe maybe he started 20, 30 years ago and the world has completely changed now. He would never need to do a Zoom mic because he's worth probably yeah. tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> but, so, but I think someone that's a open micer or early comic, they learn more from people that are closer to their level, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to have a mentor that's like 10 levels ahead, you know? Like I can't ask Joe Rogan for podcast advice right now because he's <laughs> got 150 mil. So learning from someone... <laughs> Yeah, that are, that are still building, and that's sort of who I've had the first few um, few guests or people that are musicians that are still like that are my friends that are still trying to build. They have a small following, maybe thousand, ten thousand followers, but not huge. And I think it's it's interesting to listen about people that are still figuring it out and and still in that process. Yeah, and that consistency, just keep keep going with it, and you'll learn by doing. Because I, I mm-hmm. went through a roundabout way of at one time. I, I veered away from comedy a little bit and I started just interviewing people in Atlanta and I was like, Oh, cause we get impatient, you know, mm, but yeah. then I started to think, well, maybe it's an Atlanta podcast where I just interview mm-hmm. cool people in Atlanta. And I started interviewing and it was still good interviews. They were like graphic designers and they were mm-hmm. like branding experts and social media experts. So, and founders of startups. So it was still interesting interviews, but even, in hindsight, I could have interviewed them from the comedian point of view. I could have sure. been asking them comedian pointing questions as opposed to just like generic your industry questions. But I kind of had to go that roundabout way mm-hmm. of being like, well, it's a comedian podcast. It's for comics by comics. Uh, well, this isn't really going viral. Maybe it's an Atlanta podcast because yeah. Atlanta has a lot of cool things happening in the show and all of that. And then I came full circle to no, it's it's a it's a for comics by comics podcast and then since we started hammering that home it's really been building momentum yeah I think going back to not, what you, <laughs> not it's a slow drip yeah it's a it's it's i'm it, this podcast game just like stand up like sometimes you see a friend i've had friends two years in they're on conan and i'm like mm-hmm. oh wait you can do that and then you know i've had friends 30 years in who don't have any tv credits you know right. like there's no right way in this game. There's only your way, but I'll tell you podcasting that's, that's, it's gotta be something you care about because it is, it is a grind. It is a lot more work than just, Oh, I talk and then it appears on the internet Yeah, every, every week with the show notes and the marketing and the research and the booking of the guests. Oh, it's all, yeah. It's just flip a switch. Nah, it's a job. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. And uh, I think that was one of, your advice that you had on one of your episodes was like, if you want stand up to be your career, you have to treat it like a job, right? Yep. You can't just mm-hmm. half ass it and expect it to just work out or podcasting or whatever creative endeavor. I think you're treating it like, like work, not like getting stressed out that it's not paying all my bills. I have a day job, so I have that stress off of me, but I'm still trying to like the initial like high of like just doing this and putting it out there is starting to like wear off. And now I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, what am I, what am I actually doing here? How am I going to get better? How am I, you know, improving this? So, yeah, Pat, it's got to be passion driven. You yeah, know, it's it's got to be something you would do even if no one listened. Yeah, it's you enjoying know? the process. And I think yep. um, Kyle Kinane had a great one of my favorite pieces of advice from your episode with him was like stand up is a bar sport. <laughs> it's like pool <laughs> or darts. It's not something you're supposed to make any money doing. Like yeah. it, it can all disappear in an instant. So you got to yep. just love 
just doing it. And it's like, if you wouldn't, this quote, I think, was like, if you wouldn't do it for free forever, don't do it. Oh, my gosh, yes. Amazing advice. Amazing oh, advice. Oh, dude. Yeah, I had, I used to teach, I would teach some, like, workshops here in Atlanta in person. Um, and, uh, like, one of the questions, like, day one, uh, this comp, she was like, all right, how do we make money? And I was like, I'll <laughs> refund you, right? Like, you can legit leave. Like, yeah. if that's your first question, day yep. one, I was like, I will, I will refund you right now, and have zero reservations. There are if much you're better in comedy for get rich money. quick. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're in the wrong scheme, my friends. You should have yep. got Bitcoin a few years ago because yep. this is yep. this is not the get rich quick scheme. Sorry, kids. Um, it's yeah, it's probably never make any money for your entire life. And <laughs> dude, we just did a um a vision board workshop with Jackie Cation and she was so transparent. She was like, for 17 years I made like 20 grand a year. Wow. Yeah. She she was like so because we were talking about vision boards and how to make one and like organizing them and how it's helped her. And she said for like 17 years she made 20 grand a year. And yeah. everyone was just like, oh. And 11 years in, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, she's she's not lying. <laughs> That's why you're the trophy husband, right? <laughs> exactly. It's a brand. But yeah. I'm I'm so grateful that comedy is my full-time gig now, you know, because I did yeah. work the day job where it would be seven to five and then out at open mics till midnight or one AM and then get back up to be back at work at seven and do that grind of wash dishes. I would wait tables, you know. It was mm -hmm. I would do that grind all to just help me balance, you know, pursuing comedy, which is my love and my passion. So is the podcast bringing in income for you now at this point or what's paying your bills besides your Yeah, wife? indirectly. <laughs> like the podcast has definitely booked me opportunities. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. on on shows, even Zoom shows. Um, not only from people that hear it, but people in the Facebook group who are like, oh, my company, even I've been doing Zoom shows that pay me. I just did an alumni show for my high school last night. Nice. That was, okay. it was a paid gig. Um, I haven't, the only live shows I've done were like, colleges last year because mm -hmm. they just paid too much for like the risk was worth it at the end yeah. of the day you know um but other than that it's been through i do a uh, have a membership community called hot breath pro where yeah. comics can subscribe and it's like a gym membership for their comedy where i just i used to have individual classes and workshops but now i just put it all in this hot breath pro community and i'm like here's all the information like you and i were talking about earlier Here's everything you need to know about how to write a joke, about how to produce your own show, about how to produce your own podcast. Now here's a community to hold you accountable to actually start learning by doing and not just getting a class and then you're on your own. So mm -hmm. that's something that I've really, the community inspired me to develop as we were in this, this free Facebook group, the writing room, and people were like, oh, how we, we want more. Like we wanna go deeper. Like we wanna be learning more hands-on. So that was just an opportunity for me to create this, for lack of a better term, I call it a comedian incubator to really yeah. kind of give comics the tools and the network to really help them become professional comedians. So that's that's been another way. But the, the community has, it's brought so many, just so many rewarding opportunities. And also uh, my comedy special. Uh, mm -hmm. I have, I sell produce my own comedy special that I sell on my website. That was another empty parking space idea where I saw every comic releasing on YouTube, do a special release it on YouTube, do it. And I, I'm always looking for like the inverse. I'm always looking for what people aren't doing. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I feel like it'll strike. I feel like that'll that mindset will strike at some point and mm-hmm. it will be instead of riding the wave, I'm always looking for what wave can I create? Mm-hmm. So for that, it was I've self-produced a comedy special. Yes, I could release for free. But what if I sold it on my website and made it like a pay what you want option? Yeah. How would that do versus just giving it away for free? And I've, I've made my money back on it. And then some as well. I know you got it before this interview, which yep. I appreciate, Jutton. And yep. um, also my album, the album version is on like Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. So that's another good way for comics to get residual income. You can get Sweet. your audio onto Sirius XM. You get you can get paid monthly through that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I think Louie did that 10 years ago, maybe uh, early 2020s. Putting on the oh website. yeah, on his website, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Netflix was just starting. The Netflix special was just starting to become a thing. But I remember, I think it was five dollars. He put it on, like I yeah. forget which one, and he was just putting out banger after banger uh, for a while there. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that because it's like you know, he understood where the world was going with the internet. It's like people just want the content. You don't need NBC or these big studios to produce it. Yeah. Um, and and you can probably make as much or more money going straight to your people than distributing it to millions of people where only a few of them like it. It's like, instead of going really wide with these networks, I think it's like, like a Schultz model. So getting really narrow, getting your thousand, 10,000, hundred thousand people that really love you and will spend money on you and will, you know, dig everything you do support you or like the Patreon model. Yeah. Yeah, Depth over width for sure. Like just go deep on whatever, like, like I'm saying, I, at one time, I was like, I wanted the best comedy interview podcast yeah. ever. And then it's like, create a dope podcast that's going to help comics get better. Yeah. As soon as I got that specific, mm-hmm. not even comedy fans and the comedy yeah. industry. It's like, yeah. no, I want to make a, a, a podcast for comics that are aspiring or grinding yeah. on this game. And that's when it really started to grow. When I got super specific, I knew who I was talking about in my content in the podcast wherever it is i know who i'm talking to now and that's been helpful but for people listening that's taken years like sure. it's taken a lot of trial and error a lot of guesswork so if you're thinking about starting a podcast and um actually i have i have something i have like a, a one sheet because i've had people asking me about like a podcast so if anyone listening is interested i have from uh, my podcasting class i have this like pdf of all the questions to ask yourself before you start a podcast. So if anyone's listening to this and wants it, I'm happy to email it to you. But I'd love um, to see that too. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely yeah, I'll definitely send that to you because it's a yeah. lot of like the homework side that will take away a lot of the guesswork mm-hmm. when you do your podcast. It'll help you get a very specific vision for mm-hmm. what you're trying to accomplish with it. Yeah. Not nah, yeah. I love that. Um uh, another quote from your Schultz episode was most people cast a net so wide it never catches anything. Mm-hmm. That was a really great quote, especially today in the internet age. There's so much fucking content. There's a there's literally millions of podcasts. YouTube has trillions of hours on there, and like the model of the nineteen you know fifties, sixties, seventies pre internet was like everyone watched the same news and everyone watched you know Johnny Carson and they yep. these things had broad appeal. Cause you didn't have any options. You watch the honeymooners and you watch Carson. And now it's like, no one's watching Fallon. Cause he's like, wh- who's a Fallon? He's just so broad. And you take away his suits and you take away the guests and the musical impressions, which I was a fan of that stuff. You take that away. You put Fallon in front of a zoom camera with no audience. People were <laughs> like, 
what the fuck what is this why would i why would i watch this respect True, to him he's a talented guy but and that you know that's it's not carson right it's not mass appeal because there's so many options you got to have your lane and you're going to yep. be more successful having that having that niche and that's what we see with with the podcast and the youtube world you know having that dedicated fan base and it, it's scary and it seems counterintuitive of like wait go after a small audience to build yeah. a big audience but yeah. that that's the game i mean i've I've been doing a lot of research because like I always look to learn from things outside of the comedy industry. So sure. it's like I'm always looking for what's happening in tech, what's happening in the health industry. What are what are people doing in these industries that are groundbreaking that we can maybe adapt into the comedy industry? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm always looking to learn outside of comedy and finding how I can put my unique spin on it within the comedy world. Mm -hmm. So really learn from outside of just our insulated world of comedy to see what other people are doing and what's working for them. And then just do your version of that and just yeah. be consistent and patient with it because mm -hmm. it, it takes, I'm, I mean, I'm 11 years in, I'm still, if you told me two years in, it's like, Oh, I'm not going to be on Conan after 11 years. Yeah. Like, cause if you, what's funny about my podcast, you can hear an evolution, not only just in the questions I ask and my confidence with interviewing and, but also like where my mindset is earlier mm. in my career, five years in versus eight years in versus 10 years right. in of like, I, I, one time I was just asking comics, how do you book Conan? I emailed the booker, I yeah. Colbert, I got her email and she didn't yeah. respond. And I'm like, <laughs> What's wrong with me? And then it's like, that's out of your control. Focus on what you can control. It took me eight years to realize that. But as soon as I did, I started booking my own tour, producing my own comedy special and really building just an engaged comedy fan base. So focus on what you can control at the end of the day. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so yeah, you have some great interviews. It seems like the comics just really open up. Like how do you prepare for those and how have you like learned to get better as an interviewer over time? Oh, I mean, research. Yeah. relentless research and ruthless. I mean, I'm a private investigator on these people. <laughs> I want, I've had people be like, Whoa, where'd you, where'd you pick that one up? Or like, where did you hear that type deal? Like I, mm -hmm. I want to surprise my guests with those types of um, questions and facts. And it, that was another thing of me looking at other podcasts and like, what do I enjoy about certain podcasts? Well, I like how well researched they are. Well, there aren't really any well-researched, comedy podcasts out there to where they go deep on the guest and they know about that time uh, Gary Owen was sleeping in his truck in the Walmart parking lot driving to a gig he did in LA where he bombed at, it was I think it was like a like a gay bar and he like bombed and whatnot and he like slept in his truck in the Walmart parking lot coming from the military base to still try to balance his life in that comedy like those types of nuggets that people don't hear about in the grind those are what I'm looking for mm -hmm. But the interview actual style and technique comes from repetition at the end of the day. I, I wish there was a silver bullet, like studying people you like. Like I like to listen to Terry Gross. Um, Howard Stern is really interesting because of his are well-researched, but he's so, um, he's so subtle about how well-researched things are. It really struck me. He interviewed Alex Trebek and he just snuck in this, this nugget about, he's like, 
Something about like, so if, when you were coming up, if you weren't hosting Jeopardy, what would you be like a garbage man or something? And then Alex was like, oh, you said garbage man because back when I was 17, I was a garbage man or something like that. So I started mm. to notice how the professionals were weaving in their research mm. without it being like, look how much research I did. Okay. Because early on, I would, I would, I was very structured. I had like, we're starting here. We're going to go to the, this is the middle and then this will be the end. And I was very yeah. scripted and I would almost shoehorn in facts just to be like, look what I know about you. So yeah. I've become a little more organic about it and realized mm -hmm. just through conversation, those talking points will come up organically. Just trust totally. that they will. Cause for a long time, it was more like research, beginning, middle, end. Here are the things I want to say. Despite what they're saying, I want to make sure I, they know that I did this amount of research with them. Mm -hmm. So another way that I've started to kind of showcase the research without um, just shoehorning into interviews is doing a live intro with them. I learned that from Tom Bilyeu of Impact Theory. He does these well-researched intros of his guests. So then this sets all the context, all the information is out there. And showing all the work he did leading up to it. So now the guest is, like you said, you get this extra information out of the guests that they don't do in other episodes because you've built that trust with them. Mm. Like it's a, they realize, oh, you're not just here to try to like, like grab onto my fans. You did right. work. You're like, you did this because of, like you want to tell my story. So showing mm. that extra effort is another way. Interesting. Yeah. So you do live intros now so as well in person. Yeah. Like, that's how hot breath water, water bottles. started. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's how That's all familiar. that started was bringing them gifts. I would research one guest liked Lunchables. I brought a Lunchable when I went to meet him. Nice. So those little things really help to build trust with that guest. But referral, mm. that'll make them more likely to be like, oh, Mark Norman was on. Mark, can you tell Joe List? Will you, will you just yeah. respond to my DMs? Will you, will you <laughs> poke him and be like, yo, hot breath is it's worth doing type deal? If you put on a good interview, they'll be more likely to do that for you as well. Okay. Well, I can send you my list of comics after this and you can DM <laughs> all of them for me. <laughs> well, re remember, it's it's the celebrity nah. guests aren't going to, that's not the no, silver bullet in podcasting. It's, it's so true. That's, yeah. And, and that's so funny because I got guys like, uh, you know, Nimesh Patel and Neil Nanda, who I really admire and are, are you know, Nimesh wrote for SNL and stuff. And those do well. But yeah, I think I've had other episodes with just my friends that have gotten double the views of that because at, at yep. least right now my audience isn't all of Nimesh Patel's fans or all stand-up fans it's people that subscribe to me on social media on, on Instagram Facebook so maybe they know me they know my friend from high school that's a music producer they're like oh let's see what Jutton and Steve are, are up to because it's, it's such a niche audience maybe they're not like oh I don't need to hear Jutton talk to Nimesh because Rogan talked to Nimesh so if I want that, like, you know, what is he going to give me that Rogan hasn't already covered? Um, it's good so yeah. you're learning that early, though. It's good you're learning that early because, you know, I would chase and I still have to catch myself. Of like, sure. oh, I've gone. I can't tell you how many times I've gone through. It's time to hire a PR person to start getting like Jerry Seinfeld. And I have to remind yeah. myself, it's not about the celebrity. You will mm -hmm. get Seinfeld. They will come to you. Just be consistent. And I, I still have to remind myself of that, of like, it's not about the celebrity guest. Uh, but it is that ego coming yeah, in. Yeah, like, chasing that dragon. I had a, <laughs> I've been starting to DM some comics that I really like. And I have one, I'm not going to, I'll tell you after um, who's mm -hmm. responding. We're supposed to 
recorded. I'm really excited, but I'm like, I don't know if people that watch me even know who this guy is. But at the end of the day, I think it's still someone I'm excited to talk to. And as long as you're enjoying it and having fun, not just chasing someone with lots of followers, but Mm -hmm. having a unique conversation with someone that you admire, I still think that's it's okay versus just chasing the 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 blue check and the and the followers. Yep, exactly. Yep. Cool, man. Uh, how did you how did you produce your own special? How do you how do you go about doing something like that? That's a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, I actually did a podcast episode okay. with uh two. It was a two parter with um myself and the director of the comedy special. But how it all started was 2019. I, I set a goal to record an album and then a listener of the podcast heard me talking about it and was like, well, I have a video production company. We could just make this a comedy special. So wow. all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm doing a comedy special now this year. Um, so it, it came down to a lot of reps on stage and in the actual production side, luckily I had someone to help me with the video side, but it was still a lot of like finding a venue how many cameras do you want? What do you want the setup of the cameras to be? What do you want it to look like? Like, what is your vision for it? So we did a lot of behind the scenes content as well. Like I, I was booked at a few clubs leading up to the taping of the special. So he followed me around on the road, documenting that process. He followed me around Atlanta through the open mic grind, which I've posted a few of those on uh, my YouTube channel but there's so much more behind the scenes stuff that I want to share. My idea initially was to make it like a documentary. And then you start editing and you're like, Oh, this is a lot of, this is a lot of work. You know (laughs) what I mean? And like, so it just became a little bit more than I expected at the time. And I just wanted to focus on getting the special out and making sure people knew about it. So there's, there's still a lot more behind the scenes to come out on that, but it all again started with like what I wish existed, you know, all we see now are these super polished, shiny Netflix specials in a sold out theater that these people recorded like six times to get every breath perfect. And there's the swooping crane shots and the, the audience scans and all of this. But I wanted to show like the, the real raw side of comedy, which is it's a tight knit black box theater. Not everything's perfect. I, I forgot my jokes at one point. I left that part because I over rehearsed this. Like I was so over like leading up to it. I was there at the venue early. I rehearsed it in front of an empty room. Like I was going through my notes right before the show. Like I, I was overly, I, I was overly in my head about it. So like, this is it. This is the special, you know, uh, and it went well and I'm proud of it, but I left the part in where I forgot my jokes. Uh, there wasn't a camera set up at the beginning. Uh, so I walk out, realize there's not a camera set up and we have to reset the whole thing. So I wanted to leave all that raw side of comedy in that, that that's, you know, as the Steve Martin album said, you know, comedy ain't pretty. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to give people a peek behind the curtain of like what it is actually like as a comedian uh, and not this Netflix special that people had six shots at. But this is a one shot I made. um my my dog and wife were on the front row. My friend from L.A., yep. I flew him in to man one of the cameras. Um, the host of it was one of my friends from the beginning, Tyler Chronicles, who is one of the funniest people I've ever met. I mean, he's been on Wild and Out, and he's hosting um, – he actually hosts a morning radio show in Atlanta now. Nice. But he's 
my my wife was like, "Are you sure you want him opening for you? Like, <laughs> is he just that funny?" And I knew yeah. he would destroy the room, and and he did, and it, it set it up for me to have to rise to the occasion. And it was just all those little things that I wish existed in a comedy special. Mm-hmm. I want to see their flub lines. I want to see behind the scenes of how they create their uh, the special and the work and the grind that goes into it. I want to see all that. So that's really mm-hmm. what I made my special and then i branded it the trophy husband because i mean (laughs) that was my idea of branding it and try to stand out a little bit you know yeah no i love that you left the flaws in even redoing the intro and like the thing the moment with the chain and the lights yeah (laughs) i thought that was really funny and that guy's clearly you could tell just from the intro that guy's hilarious oh Um, murderer dude one of the funniest people on the planet I think it's it's cool that you have the ethos of like having your opener be a murderer. Like Rogan talks about this. It's almost a meme. He's murderers, you know? Oh, yeah. So Nate Bargatze mur- said that. Yeah. Murderers. <laughs> There's a guy, uh, Brent Pella on Instagram that does really funny Rogan impressions. He's like, fucking murderers at the comedy store. <laughs> but he would bring Joey Diaz on the road with him and have Joey Diaz open for him, mm-hmm. which if you know anything about him, that's, that's a tough act to follow for anyone. Yeah, uh, for sure. I've never seen him live, but... Yeah, he's a crazy motherfucker. But yeah, I think yeah. that's that's how you 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 make yourself arise to the occasion is getting people that are amazing and not just like settling for someone that you know you're better than because that's how you get you know complacent, right? Yeah, if, I mean, if you want to be a great comic, you you got to surround yourself with great comics. You know, yeah, it's like if you want to be a professional comic, you need to do the habits of a professional comic. Like you said, yeah. you balancing a day job. I had to adopt the mindset of like, well. If I can work seven to five or whatever for this employer, why wouldn't I put in that work for a job I care about, which is my comedy, you know? Right. So like I was, I was renting cars. I was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, dude. Yeah. I was washing cars in a tie. That was my entire job description, basically. <laughs> so if I was like, if I can put in this much work for an employer I don't really care about, why wouldn't I do the same for myself and my career, which I do care about? And that was my wow. mindset I had to adopt when it was, renting cars during the day, writing jokes on my lunch break, going to open mics at night and just rinse and repeat over and over again every day. Yeah. Treating it like a job. I mean, that's, that's, that's powerful advice. I think so many people out there have, have jobs that they don't necessarily care about or are are passionate about Mm -hmm. and have these side projects and, and, and other things they'd like to do. It's hard. Again, those jobs pay a lot better usually than any art does. So it's balancing that with, uh, you know, staying creative and, and not as long as you have something left in the tank. Some people work so hard. If you're a lawyer or something, you're not going to have anything left in the tank to to do those creative pursuits. Probably. Yeah, and it's what <laughs> sacrifices you're willing to make as well. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, write them down. When I decide to go full time in comedy, like the decision came down to me creating a pro and con list of mm-hmm. like, okay, what is best case scenario? of me becoming a full-time comic, what is worst case scenario? Okay, am I willing to live with worst case scenario? Because even for me, you know, I, I'm i 11 years in and I'm 33 and I'm like, I feel like I could be like, oh, well, why am I not further along? But then you have perspective. Oh, Steve Harvey lived in his car at 33. Like, because I'm sure a younger comic may be like, oh, 11 years, I, I want to be further along than this guy. I mean, which you have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, I'm talking to you. <laughs> one thinking that yeah i see you right now i hear you and your scoffs get over yourself so it, it's 
No, I love you. I love any comic that's out there on the grind. So it all comes down to really what you're willing to sacrifice. And if you are willing, if you're a lawyer, but you're willing to, you know, move in. I've had comic friends, two bedroom apartment in New York with like four or five comics living together. Like those are the type of sacrifices. You know, I lived in a studio apartment in the hood of Atlanta. um, And I, I lived, I went on tour and lived on cliff bars for an entire week. Those are all the sacrifices I was willing to make for my comedy. And that's why we said at the beginning, you know, it's gotta be something you care about. It can't be a get rich quick scheme. It's gotta be something you love and care about because it's, it's, uh, or the work won't be worth it. That's the reality, my friends. Yeah, no, I think that's a powerful exercise is to name your sacrifices because there's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so much life force you have. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to pick and choose. You got to allocate your hours and your energy. And if all of your energy is towards one thing, I mean, that's like the Buffett rule. He's like, write 25 things you care about and cross off and rank them and cross off the bottom 20 and Mm. don't even look at them. Like pick those things. And that could be health, family, you know, art, work. You know, there's only so much time in the day. If you want to be really great at something, that, that there's no replacement for that time. And yeah, gotta- for sure. And it was a gradual process for me. Like I was, I was at Enterprise Rent a Car, and then I started taking lesser-paying jobs that gave me more time to pursue mm, comedy. Right. So I really took a gradual approach into like having a better paying job to then like, you know, washing dishes or waiting tables, refilling mini bars, like uh, selling things on eBay, really like eased myself into becoming full time. But it, and that's what I was willing to do and sacrifice to, you know, become full time comic. I was willing to live in that studio apartment. I was willing to live on cliff bars for a week. You know, I was willing to do those things for the long term return of like becoming a professional comic. Mm hmm. Yeah, so you're a diehard Atlanta guy. You, you're going to stay there, or is there any future view for you to go to New York or L.A. or one of these, quote-unquote, bigger markets? Or do you, you think Atlanta is going to come up? they got movie studios. They've got a lot of stuff going on. You think it's yeah. a place for the long I've, haul? I've been, I've been ride or die ATL since Dizay 1, my <laughs> friend. If we're going to do a little ATL slang type of thing. But I've, I've that was another thing of me wanting to create something I wish existed, which was getting outside of that formula, that mold of you've got to move to LA or New York to make X, Y, and Z happen. I wanted to be an example of no, you don't, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to do it for my own hometown. I want to create it here and build it and they will come. That was my mindset from the beginning. Um, I've had friends who moved to LA and New York and got on late night, got writing gigs and that worked for them. I'm, I'm more, I'm so happy for them, but that was never a part of my mission and my journey. I always wanted to do it from the hometown of Atlanta, just to show other comics that you can, you can do it from anywhere and still create your own success. And I, and then it just so happens that now Atlanta is just like popping like it is with the studios and all of these opportunities coming in. So it just so happened to work out that way. Yeah, I definitely won't. I won't be moving. I, I've been to LA and New York several times. Sure. I've 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 done the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, I've yeah. gone everywhere from the comedy store to the basement of a bar where you had to pay for stage time. You sure. know what I mean? So I've I performed in the best and the worst of those cities, and uh, it, it's great. And I've been able to build some great friends in both places. But um, it, it's all still from a uh, from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. 
No, yeah. I, I love that. I respect that. I think that's and and you picked a good city, or I guess you got you know with the movie studio. I think Tyler Perry. Oh, someone else that has a studio there, or is I, I can't remember, but I don't know. I know Tyler Perry like own. He's like half the city now. It's yeah. amazing. It's amazing uh, what he's building. Yeah. Donald Glover's obviously Atlanta shoots down there, but it's a growing scene. Obviously, it's affordable. It's a it's a cool happening town. And, mm-hmm. and uh, have you ever seen the show Flop House on Viceland? Neil Nunda. Yeah. Yeah. So that's back when episode. I interviewed Neil. Actually, was yeah. when that was coming out. Yeah. I interviewed yeah. him because they came through Atlanta. Yeah, it's a very cool show. If anyone that's a comedy fan, check out Flop House. It shows you the real dirt of comedy, not like the polished Netflix glamorous you know, bougie mm-hmm. four seasons life, but like it's called flop house because a lot of comedians, like you mentioned, live in these horrible environments where it's like, <laughs> wait, sardines crammed in the San Francisco episode is ridiculous. That house is like <laughs> the grungiest fucking. And that's funny. Cause I lived in SF for a few years. I recognized a bunch of those comedians too. Yeah. Um, but it's just this disgusting San Francisco house. I mean, San Francisco rents fucking ridiculous oh, as it is. Like yeah eight people like guy in a closet that used to be homeless and like he's, he's paying like 500 dollars for a closet by the way i'm sure that could get you a studio <laughs> in atlanta he's literally paying 500 dollars for a twin mattress <sighs> in a closet um but it's it's cool like it shows you the the reality the dirt of of the comedy life like what what means when you're not in the very 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 top 0.01 percent yeah. most of these people even guys that are on conan and, and fallon they're still probably struggling financially living with oh, roommates you know comic, comics live with roommates i know kyle canane and matt bronger were, were roommates i think into their late 30s if not later yeah i i went um i really had like a revelation since quarantine of like how like that industry system is how it's just like broken and a lot yeah. of my friends that were relying on that system of like agent booking me this audition or booking me this tour and really leaning into that, that old way of doing it. Um, like they're, they're driving for Uber. Like these are friends I've, that have been on like comedy central and mm-hmm. like late night and you're like, Oh, they're killing it. And they're like driving Uber now, or they like move back home. Like, so it, that was really an eye opener of like, Oh yeah, the system is broken. If people that succeeded in that system mm-hmm. are now like, the system's gone and they're like, Oh, what do I do? So, that makes me even more grateful for having that just like grassroots mindset that I'm hoping younger comics can see the power in with Andrew Schultz, you know, being the gold standard of it, but yeah, to just like build it yourself, build what you wish existed, be consistent and passionate in it and just have fun with it. And mm-hmm. if, and when success comes, it's just a byproduct of you doing what you love. Absolutely. No, that's a quote I love. It's never chase success, chase excellence, and then success will chase you, will follow mm-hmm. you. And the industry will come to you, like Netflix came to him. And But like you have something that no one can take from you, right? You have something with your community, with your podcast. Um, they can't take it away from you because they didn't give it to you. And yeah, that yep. New York, LA model, I think it was already getting dated. Obviously, there's before pandemic, it was the place to go because there's a millions of shows and, and agents and bookings and movies. But obviously, I think post pandemic, I think people are realizing that that model is, you know, needs to die and something new needs to come. I mean, look at Rogan moving to Austin, bringing everyone with him. Yeah, uh, right. Segura, <laughs> Fahim. All these guys like, fuck LA, fuck this tent city, <laughs> fuck this mayor. Um, you know, what am I paying for? And yeah, going yeah. to a place where, and, and building their own community outside of 
Hollywood, right? Outside of the system saying, hey, mm -hmm. listen, we care about comedy and young comics and just giving people a chance. And it's, you know, it's it's more of a more like a community versus this giant machine uh, that's built that uses artists to make money. It's more like, hey, no, we're comics supporting other comics. And you see that with yeah. Theo and Nate are in Nashville, I think. And mm -hmm. there's all these small little hubs. I mean, I don't know if you've been to Tempe, but the Tempe Improv, the Scottsdale uh, Improv, they're both amazing clubs. Like that was the first show I ever did was in front of 200 people at the Tempe Improv, which is awesome. probably a bad idea, but <laughs> a fucking blast. They have a great bringer show there. You, everyone brings 10 or so people. So you, if you have 10 comics, you have 100 people in the audience. But it's an amazing, amazing club, amazing uh, scene out there. And, and mm -hmm. there's also less competition. You're not in New York or LA. There's, you know, it's easier to rise up and, and, and stand out in those scenes. Yeah. Um, if you, if you have some skill. Yeah. And a big, a big quote I like is like, your network is your net worth. So mm -hmm. a big value of going to LA or New York was being around these great comics and yep. having to rise to that occasion. So even in your own scenes, how can you still get out of your comfort zone? How can you still challenge yourself? Whether it's comics in your own scene or whether it's you're getting online and you're connecting with other comics, you're doing Zoom shows and really connecting with other motivated comics because there's a lot of negativity in comedy. There's a lot of competition and backstabbing. So surrounding yourself with like-minded comics who are just in it to win it, just want to get better together. I didn't mean to rhyme both of those. I feel like now it's <laughs> like Tony Robbins. We're in it together in it to win it. I'm jumping on a trampoline before the show, doing my breathing exercises and polar plunge. But surrounding yourself with those comics that are going to make you rise to the occasion, hold you accountable, which is what we've talked about. That's how you're going to develop a lot faster. And that was the big value of a New Yorker LA was being around those like being around David Tell, being around Joe Rogan at the comedy store. So ask yourself, how can you start getting around better comics? Whether it is doing a podcast and you're interviewing better comics, doing, I'm not saying that's what you're, I'm not saying I'm better. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, but, or it's, you, you know, are, no, doing, can, yeah, that's, that's fact. <laughs> just whatever you could do to start connecting with people that hold you accountable and challenge you, the better you're going to be. No, absolutely. Hey, we're almost at the hour. I got one last question. How excited are you for quarantine to be over so you can finally go see Jack Harlow in concert? Oh, snap. Yo, someone in, 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 a, in Hot Breath Pro, I do a weekly Q&A, and I always open with a freestyle rap. Oh and last God. week, one of the, the members from the UK, uh, Lee Hudson, called me Whack Harlow. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that may be the new stage name. You but look I, like I his uncle on... that comes to the concert dressed like this with the yeah, yeah. short sleeve button down, like <laughs> and just knows every word, but just looks like a cracker. Dude, so it's it's so live, dude. I love it. I want to do it's like a so Christmas mixtape with him. Like I, I'm I'm on it. Like I'm in it to win it with Jack Harlow. I'm I'm I really think we're gonna be doing something funny together because he's so funny, dude. I don't know if you've seen no, his haven't. interviews. There's compilations okay, of like Jack Harlow funny moments. He is just so funny and he's just a dope rapper. And like, I've been on him since before he popped. Now I'm talking all hip hop all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, I just now all of a sudden, right on, I've been talking like all this philosophy and I'm like, but man, he been on, shouty. He been he on. He been <laughs> in there, shouty. But he like, I, I actually had tickets to a concert he was gonna do in the Atlanta area. They were like 20 bucks. Like this was before he popped. 
Yeah. And then quarantine hit. They had to reschedule and then end up canceling it because they're like, nah, these tickets are going to be 200 next time. Yeah. So we're just going to cancel Easily. this and give you a refund. But I'm, I'm so excited for whatever happens with that pursuit. You know, I, I got to get in the booth. I got to get more consistent in uh, putting in my reps because, you know, rapping is a craft. But I've Absolutely. been I've been building my circle. I've been connecting with some other freestylers in the Hot Breathiverse because we got a couple rappers in yeah. uh, the Hot Breathiverse. There's a lot of overlap between hip hop and comedy. We're finding. Oh, absolutely, there's a huge. I feel like comedians and hip hop artists have a, have a kinship, right? Like the setup punchline and just like yeah. going without like freestyling is one of the only musical acts you can do without the music. Without you know, you just go off of your wordplay, off your skill. Yeah, yeah. So that I, I lack the skill part right now. I can play with words a lot. I can throw out words, but they don't make sense a lot of the time. <laughs> that jack, yo, I'm so glad you brought that up. That that is, that, that put a, a boost in my back there. I feel good. <laughs> but something's That's gonna sad. happen with it. I don't know what, but I feel good about it. I was listening. My wife to the- doesn't feel good about it. But <laughs> I feel good about it. <laughs> Every time I dab, she's like, "Are you really bringing that back?" Like I have a hashtag, bring back the dab. I just want to bring it back. You know. I want to make dancing accessible. Dance what people can do, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I have a bit in my uh, my Nap. special about that, yeah. <laughs> Man, well, hopefully you get to go see him at some point soon. Yes, I think, you sure. know, Mr. Biden got a couple hundred million more vaccines, apparently. Don't uh, So uh, things are looking cautiously optimistic for... <laughs> cautiously one optimistic. Of, one of the most orgy-tastic summers of American history. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect to hear that word in this interview. (laughs) Out of all the things, we're going to hear orgy-tastic. That's going to be the name of your comedy special. I hope so. I would love it. That's what's so funny is people people forget I'm a comedian or don't realize I'm a comedian sometimes because I I do talk so seriously Mm -hmm. about the craft and just about I'm 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 more serious. Like I I can be funny. I can turn it on, but like in real life, I'm not always trying to go for the joke and all that. So I was joking around at the end. I'm like, oh, yeah, people have probably been listening this whole time. Like, yo, is this cat even funny? Like, what is he? People in the community have been like, I, I, like I'm just, when I do Q&As, I'm so serious. And they're like, relax. relax. We're all, con- let's just have some fun. Sometimes yeah. I've got to remind myself, like, just have fun. Not everything is so serious, you know? So totally. It's just a balance. Yeah. Cool. Well, been awesome talking to you, Joel. I've been appreciate great talking you to you hopping yeah. on the show and, and thanks for everything you're doing for building comedy community. We all need it out there and, and it's, it's appreciated. Thank you so much. I mean, I, everyone needs the, those like compliments, uh, you know, <laughs> like especially in comedy where we can get in our heads. Like, is this even working? Who cares? Yeah. It's like, it, it's, it's really rewarding to like, hear you say that of like an up and coming comic who is like, I feel like I'm on the comedy journey with someone because that that's been the whole goal of the hot breath of verse. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that it's, it's resonating like that. So I really do appreciate you saying that. And anyone listening, like if there's someone you really appreciate, like reach out to them and let them know. I, um, I mean, you never know who's going to respond as well. Like when you DM someone, I, I, I DM'd someone this morning who is like, he's like a serial entrepreneur who really, his business model is just like positivity and accountability. He's like, he thinks those are the two factors in a business that are the differentiators. And I just DM'd him and I was like, 
thank you so much. Like you've really helped my mindset over quarantine. And he like responded in like 10 minutes. And I was like, what? So like, if there's someone you really appreciate, like reach out to them and let them know. And if, if you want to connect with a, like a motivated comedy community, we welcome everyone at hot breath. That's just willing to be nice and be funny. So, um, all you gotta do is Facebook. We have the writing room where we do the daily joke contest. So anyone, anyone's welcome to join that group and, uh, meet me and a bunch of other comics from around the world. Awesome. Yeah. I'll link to yeah. all your stuff, Joel. Thanks for everything. Yeah. And, and I'll see you soon. Hopefully in Atlanta next time I go down there for a show, who knows? For when that'll sure. Be. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Judd. And this is the beginning of something beautiful here, my friend. <laughs> I think so. Cool, man. Have a good one. All right. You too, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to my chat with Joel Byers. I'm just a huge fan of his work ethic and how seriously he takes his comedy career, his podcast, and just the relentless energy that he puts into it. If you're interested in the business and the art of stand-up comedy, you got to check out the Hot Breath Network and the podcast, the Facebook group, and all the cool stuff Joel is putting out there into building a community for aspiring comedians. Please share this episode if you liked it. I'm at just getting the pod on Instagram and at gmail.com. Really appreciate you tuning in. Shout out to Captain for the beat as always. And until next time, bye.